And today's scripture reading is 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. I'll be reading the New International Version. And it says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rachel. Um, a quick word on this new exciting development. Starting next week, we get to have 40 of you guys in this space. Uh, I just want to take one moment to really encourage you guys. You know, we have, uh, from the very beginning, is <clears throat> me some water. From the very beginning, we want to honor the Korean government, but also make sure we are keeping our people safe. So we've been following all the protocol, uh, and God has provided us this wonderful space. I just want to encourage you guys as it is going to, we're going we're gonna to make sure everything is sanitized, it's safe. But we also want to encourage you guys to really commit to coming if you're able. I understand if you have, if you're living with someone at high risk and different reasons, totally understand. But if you're not, if you're not and you haven't been to church for about a year or a year and a half, I want to really encourage you. Uh, you know, part of worship is to, to do things sacrificially. Uh, you know, I know... Um, Talking to different pastors in the city, uh, many, many people are now really excited about extra day off. It's like now we have Saturday, now we have Sunday. Uh, and uh, I just want to encourage you guys, uh, if, if you consider King's Cross as your home and consider me as your pastor, uh, I want to challenge you guys. You know, it's easy to come to church when everybody was coming to church. It's easy to church when it was just habit, right? But now with COVID and social distancing, and we've created this kind of culture of having two, week, two days of, uh, of off, I just want to encourage you to commit to coming because we don't just come to church when we feel like coming. We don't come to church because we have an extra time. We come as a, as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And there is uh, just joy being able to come together and worship with your brothers and sisters and one community. So just want to encourage you to do that. All right. Uh, I do have one more announcement, uh, important one, uh, prayer request and an announcement. Uh, if you actually log on to our website, you're going to see that we are hiring. We're going to be hiring a children's pastor slash director, um, depending on your qualification, the person's qualification. Uh, we're looking for somebody to come in. God has given us a lot of children, uh, a lot of babies, future children's ministry uh, congregation, and we are looking for someone who loves Jesus, loves kids, has a heart for it. So information is on our website. If you know somebody or you may be interested, uh, you can contact me in my email address, which is provided on the screen, uh, but also there's a job description on our website. And if you know somebody, please do not hesitate to pass along the information or let me know so I could chase them down and, and see um, how God would provide for us. But pray. Let's pray as a congregation. This is a very important role to be able to pastor our children along with parents. So let's do that. All right. 
back to 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23. Um, the Seoul government extended current social distancing measures for two more weeks. With a little bit of changes, I think churches, they're, they're opening up a little bit for a few other sectors, but it's been hard. How are you guys doing? News of two more weeks of not being able to go out for dinner, not being able to meet in groups uh, larger than four or two. How are you doing emotionally? You know, COVID has not only impacted us physically, but it has had a huge impact on us emotionally. I mean, for me, I could, I could tell in our children, myself, our family, my friends, um, as I talked to some of you guys, as I met with you guys, I mean, emotionally, it's been hard. According to a study conducted by a group called KFF, KFF, during the pandemic, about four in 10 adults in the U.S. have reported symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorder, right? Up from one-tenth, so pre-COVID, it was one out of 10, and after a year of COVID, it's four out of 10. Health tracking poll also found that many adults are reporting negative impacts on their mental health and well-being, such as difficulty sleeping or eating, increase in alcohol consumption or substance use, which makes sense, right? Because most of us have been living in isolation. Some of us have lost our jobs, have been impacted financially. Some of your teachers are now forced to teach online. Uh, parents are, are forced to keep their kids at home all the time. You know, just these adjustments that we had to make under COVID has had a huge impact on our mental health. But this whole idea of mental health and emotional health was already gaining traction and was in the spotlight even before this whole pandemic happened because of the pace of life that, that we live in, we live today. Uh, it's been something that's been, the conversation has been really picking up, whether the, those are athletes or celebrities or even in our homes. Uh, you know, the pace that we live, our relationship with our electronic devices and social media has really brought about this much-needed conversation about mental health or emotional health. And, and now having lived a year and a half under this reality of pandemic, covid we cannot emphasize importance of mental health. Uh, so a few years ago, I was introduced to a wonderful book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by a man, a pastor named Peter Scazzaro. Uh, he's Italian-American, and in the opening pages of this book, I highly recommend this book to anyone, right? Even if you're not struggling mentally, emotionally, fantastic book. So the author argues, Peter argues, Pastor Peter argues that Christianity without an integration of emotional health can be deadly, not just unhelpful, but he says deadly to yourself, to your relationship and the people around you. Let me repeat that quote. Christianity without an integration of emotional health, when our Christian discipline or our Christian maturity does not involve emotional health, it can be deadly to yourself to those that are around you, and especially relationships. Again, Pastor Peter says it's not just simply discouraging, it's not simply harmful, but it can kill you. 
Right? If we don't get emotional health right, there's a, big, there's a good chance that we're going to remain as spiritual infants that Paul talks about in, in his letter. So we really need, as, as Christians, as those that are followers of Jesus, we need, we need to talk about emotional health. We need, to, we need to integrate emotional health into our faith. So the cover page of the book, I mean, we're going to be referring to this book a lot through this series. We're going to do three weeks in this short series. I, I wish I could spend more, but earlier we decided we want to go through the book of Philippians. Hopefully we, we, we'll be back in this book. But next three mini-series, we're going to go three sermons. We're going to refer to this book a lot. It's a great investment. On Kindle, I think it's like $6.99. Sometimes it's on sale for like $1.99. So, so grab it if you can on Kindle. If you can have the, have the paper, paperback, that's even great. But the cover page of the book, if, if you look at it, has an image of an iceberg, right? And did you know only about 10% of an iceberg is visible? 90% of, the, of an iceberg is underneath the surface. In a similar way, what is shown external in our lives is a small part of the bigger pie. We know this, right? We may show up to church we no longer show up to church, we're home. But we, we, may, we may come to church dressed our Sunday's best, wear nice shoes, nice jeans, whatever you're wearing. But you know deep down inside that's only a small part of who you are. There is deeper part of who you are. 90% is unseen. Just like this iceberg. They're hidden from others. Sometimes even so deep that it is hidden from us. Can you, can you remember a time when you did something, when you said something, or something happened, and you're surprised, you surprised yourself? Like, you actually surprised yourself? Like, before we went to the church, right? I did, I, did, I did not draw, I did not do any sort of artistic uh, activities. You know, my wife Lois wished I was more artistic. And then after a while, I started drawing. And I was like, oh, I could actually draw. I enjoy drawing. Like, there are times we, we surprise ourselves, whether it's positive or negative. Um, so for next three weeks, it is really this 90% that we want to explore together, right, in order that we can grow healthier as a community. But I want to warn you, this is a challenging Topic. This is a challenging book. Um, this will challenge you. And for many of us, things may get harder as you journey in your emotional health. Things may get harder before you begin to actually feel better. This is not a quick fix sermon series. This stuff that, that Peter Scazzaro talks about or the stuff that we're going to be talking about, it's going to take work, reflection, and conversation about this topic with those that you care and trust, you care about and trust. Yet again, it is an area of our lives that we cannot ignore. Can you imagine? You're only healthy 10%. Your 10% of your body is healthy, then everything else, you're not taking care of it. Well, we cannot get healthy without really tackling this whole idea of emotional health, mental health. It's, it's like these miracle diets, you know, I, I don't know. I've struggled with weight all my life, right? I would gain 10 pounds, I would lose 20 pounds, right? Like these miracle diets, with enough determination, motivation, you can lose some weight fairly quickly. And most of us can lose some weight fairly quickly. But it's another thing to keep those weights off, 
right? You could, you could go on this crazy diet, right? You could do detox and lose 20 pounds. Uh, but it's another thing to keep those weights off. You actually, when you see these shows like Biggest Losers in America, uh, if you actually find them now, they've all gained all this weight back. And there's all these statistics of, of how terrible that show is for people, actually. Why do so many people regain their weight so quickly? It's because these miracle, quick-fix diets do not challenge people to, to change what? Their lifestyle. It's just momentary. It's just 10%. It's not really working on the 90%. And mental health, in a similar way, mental, mental health is, is no different. Right? There is no quick fix. There is no prayer that we can all pray and just move on and get better. It's a process. It's a hard, long, arduous process. Yet if you are willing to embark on this journey... And it is a journey. It could take years and years. I promise you, it, would revitali- it will renew not only your relationship with others, but with yourself, the way you think about yourself, and ultimately your relationship with the Lord. So today we're going to be looking at the story of King Saul, Israel's first king, and really see the impact of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Right? Emotionally unhealthy spirituality, how that impacts not only his relationship with others like Samuel or his men, but his relationship with Yahweh who has called him to be the first king of his people. As our sister Rachel read, 1 Samuel 15, I mean we only read two verses, but we're going to be looking at the whole chapter, really look at Saul's life together. But really the story of Saul's disobedience. Let me give us the context to our passage because context is important. This is the final chapter of kings of Saul's kingship. Chapter 16, Samuel is sent to town of Bethlehem to anoint a new king, a guy named David. We know his story. But because of the way Saul's life had ended in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, we forget the humble beginning of this man, Saul, right? He was actually chosen by God because he was a man of great integrity, humility, and the one who genuinely feared the Lord. First Samuel 10, five chapters prior, the author tells us when Samuel came to anoint Saul as the king of Israel, Saul ran because he felt like he was not qualified. He felt like he was not good enough. There was humility and even at that time when some, some men stood up against Samuel for anointing Saul, Saul did not become violent, angry, or try to revenge these people. He kept calm and quiet because he understood that Lord was in control. He was a man of self-control, integrity. However, in 1 Samuel 15, just five chapters later, we see a picture of a, of a very different man. We see a man who does not fear the Lord. We see a man who has been ravaged by fame and success and really self-glory. He sets up monuments of himself. I mean, could you imagine how cocky, arrogant you have to become to start creating statues of yourself? And by this time, Chapter 15, Saul has repeatedly disobeyed the Lord. This is not the first time. God doesn't say, well, because you disobeyed me once. No, God has been patient with Saul, but this is not the first time. 
And he has carried things. He has carried on with things according to his own desires and glory. Ignoring God's very clear directions. And so at the end of this passage, after many warnings, God's going to bring an end to King Saul's career as the king of Israel. And when you look at Saul's life, I mean, it's easy to stone this man. It's easy to say, man, Saul was such an idiot. David's such a great guy. No, that's not actually true. If you read the life of David, we know he was a man. He was no innocent man. He had his own issues going on. And really, ultimately, when we look at Saul, it's a picture of many of us, our struggles. And Saul had many unhealthy behaviors that we find here in our passage. But for the sake of time, I want to highlight three. And these three behaviors have completely destroyed not only his life, but his relationship with Yahweh. So first, there's three. First is Saul was unaware of his own emotions. Unaware of his own emotions, right? Verse 17 to 24, if you read through the story, it's not until Samuel confronts Saul. So Saul was supposed to go destroy God's enemies and leave nothing behind. Make sure everything is destroyed but what did Saul do? He kept some of the good things. He kept their king alive for political reasons, for different reasons. He completely disregarded what God had told him, right? But it's not until Samuel comes and confronts Saul, Saul doesn't realize, right? First, he doesn't realize he did something wrong before the Lord. And more importantly, he, only when Samuel has come to him and said, you did something wrong, and pushes him to, to, to confess, then Saul finally begins to realize why he chose to disobey the Lord. The real reason why, right? Verse 24, after initially, initially denying his, his sin, he eventually confesses in verse 24. And he says, okay, Samuel, I was wrong. Forgive me. But I took what I shouldn't have because, he doesn't say because I was wrong, because I was arrogant, I was greedy. He says, what? Because I fear the people. I fear my men, and I gave in to them. Right? When you see the story, you, you can tell Saul was unaware of how much fear, this idea of fear was driving his life. That was really one of the main motivating things for Saul. Right? Fear of losing his place, fear of being replaced, fear of being seen as an incapable leader, Fear of criticism from others. And these fears, different fears, have taken hold of Saul's life. And it's become his motiva main motivation to, to do whatever he, he did. And, and this was probably the reason why Saul wanted to kill this young man, David. Not just once, but six times. He tried to kill this young man six times. His son's best friend. This guy, you know, he, but he didn't know what was driving him. And what made the matters worse was he had no idea that he has been paralyzed by this emotion called fear until it was too late. You see, when you look at 1 Samuel chapter 10 to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and just look over Saul's life, Saul has always kept himself busy, right? Always on the move. Always onto the next big thing, next building project, next battle, next whatever. Saul never really took time to deal with his emotions. 
He never slowed down enough to really confront the emotions that he was feeling. Never took time to bring these fears before God. Instead, he just kept going, kept going, going, leaving no space to reflect and introspect or slow down to know and own his own emotions. He's created a great deal of what the author, Peter, Pastor Peter calls God activity in order to avoid difficult areas of his life. And we do that. I think one of the things that Pastor Peter talks about is we're using God to run from God. That's one of the things that we do. It's one of the behaviors that Pastor Peter talks about in this book. And he says we're really using this excuses, God activity, in order to avoid difficult areas of our own lives. That's what soul is doing. Right? Schizato says there are a few killer viruses that are more, how, how appropriate, killer viruses as we live in the pandemic. There are few killer viruses that are more difficult to discern than this one. This idea of running from God, using excuses of doing things for God. This virus hides behind hours and hours spent reading one Christian book after another, engaging in endless Christian responsibilities outside the home, all the extra time devoted to prayer and Bible study. And Peter says, many of us, we, we, we fill our schedules with these busy activities in order to avoid the very thing that God wants to address in our own lives. Now, just like so, perhaps we too have areas in our lives that God wants to work on. We have areas in our lives that God wants to change, yet we continue to keep our lives busy, fearing or even unable to take on the very areas that God wants you and I to work on. Not to mention, there's the enemy, Satan himself. He loves, he loves to speed our lives up. But perhaps you're not driven by fear like so. Your emotions and your struggles are different. The area that God wants to work on your life may be very different from King Saul or myself. Perhaps for you, it's anger. You have these moments of extreme Anger that you cannot explain. Perhaps it's anxiety. Perhaps it's guilt. You're always convincing yourself to do more, do more, say yes all the time because out of, out of, not out of joy, but out of guilt. Perhaps it's out of shame, past hurts and experiences. You see, whatever is driving you today, you see, unless we create space to reflect on our emotions. And it's going to take time. It's going to take for you to practice this. We can't begin to heal. Right? We will continue to be busy with different activities, one activity after another, ignoring the very area that God wants you to work on. And this is going to be extremely hard for many of us because looking soberly at ourselves is painful. You know, I remember being on a mission trip to Cambodia uh, by myself. I was there for like months. No mirrors. Uh, did not shave. Did not get a haircut. I remember coming to the capital city after like a week or a week away. I remember going to the mirror, looking at myself, and I go, that man does not look like a sane dude. 
like hair everywhere, facial hair, my eye, I got a unibrow going on, everything, right? It's hard for us to be able to look intently ourselves. Maybe that's the reason why we don't like silences. Maybe that's why we don't, we have either our, our computers on all the time, music on all the time. Because in this, those moments of silences, we have to come face to face with who we are. And, 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 and it's scary to think that we have major things that need work in our lives. But that's not the surprising thing. I mean, all of us, right? All of us, all of us, we were born into this world. We had a certain set of families, certain set of experiences, and we've been defined by all of these things. We can't ignore these things. And it's not surprising we all have something to work on. But the first step of healing is what? Doctors will tell you. First step of healing is what? Diagnose, acknowledge that we have areas that needs work and allow God's grace to give us courage and hope in those areas. So second thing that Saul's behavior that is really detrimental to his spirituality is this. Saul is not only unaware of his own emotions... Perhaps this is related, but he doesn't have pulse on what God truly desires in his own life. He really has no relationship with God, personal experience of God. If you read through his story, it's always him asking Samuel. Samuel is like this middleman, right? He has always asked Samuel, Samuel, what does God want? Oh, that's what God wants? Oh, I sinned against God? He has no real, true, genuine relationship with God. Verse 17, when Samuel confronted Saul of his failures, right? what does Saul say? Verse 20, Saul responds by saying, I obey the Lord. What are you talking about, Sam? I obey the Lord. I did everything God told me to do. I went. I did what the Lord told me to do. What's the problem? Right? It's almost like Saul is surprised that Samuel has come. Saul thought Samuel was going to come and say, you did great, my king. No, it's like, what? What, what did you do? Saul had no idea that he had actually disobeyed the Lord. This is because, again, Saul had always relied on Samuel or others to hear from God. Saul never really developed an intimate relationship with God, whereas the next guy, David, David did. Right? The guy who came after Saul. Though David had his share of sins and dramas in his life, one thing we know about David it was he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man of prayer. We actually have his prayers with us, the book of Psalms. We go over these prayers every summer here. But for Saul, he has kept himself busy, busy doing, busy building, busy pursuing. And he did a lot of those things in the name of God. Yet the sad reality is he had no idea what God had truly wanted from him. And this is exactly Samuel's rebuke, as it was read by our sister Rachel. It was, this is Samuel's rebuke of Saul. You did not obey. To obey is better than what? We know this, sacrifice. To heed, to hear, is better than even the fat of rams. See, what, what Samuel is saying to Saul is God is not impressed by all that you've done, all that you've accomplished Because obedience is what's most important. Obedience is better than sacrifice. 
Friends, God is not impressed by our long list of achievements. I mean, we, we believe that. We feel like, man, if we do this for God, if we give to God, if we go on missions and we are faithful to our Sunday coming and going, God's going to be impressed. No, God is not impressed by our long list of achievements. He's not impressed by how much we have done or can do in His name. It's very clear from Scripture. He's looking for people who will find joy and delight in Him and Him first. Pastor Peter says, and I quote, work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life, intimacy with God, will eventually be contaminated by other things, such as ego, power, and needing approval and of and from others, and buying into the wrong ideas of success and mistaken belief that we cannot fail. Again, work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated. It cannot be good. This is why we see so many pastors, so many capable, wonderful pastors come into ministry and exit ministry just as quickly because they can't, that's it. They, they are really gifted. They do a lot for God but doesn't match their entire life. It's a warning for myself, warning for Pastor John, warning for us. And I confess to you, as your pastor, this is an area of struggle for me, sitting before the Lord, right? Delighting in His presence. In many ways, just the way I'm, I'm just like my mom. Like my mom, when she comes to Korea, I never see her. She's always going somewhere. She's always doing something. I think she's been to our church once and like, Three times she's been here. She's just busy, right? I'm a busy body. I love, I, I find energy in going and doing things naturally. I love being productive. I love being resourceful. I love being efficient. And, and those things, which are good, can become, at times, have become a source of an idol for me. Just being efficient, being productive, being a good worker. So every day as I come here to work, I, I come to this place to work, I have to intentionally remove myself. Like it's no longer reminding myself because it doesn't work. I literally have to, I come in here. I actually work in this back room because it's nice, nicely windowed and stuff. I literally put my stuff down. have to remove myself from my workspace to come to another space. I come here, actually sit over here and begin the day with the Lord. But it's, it, I have to be intentional about that. I have to literally remove myself because I can't help myself. If I don't do that, already on the subway or while I'm driving, I have 50 things I need to do today. And before you know it, half day's gone and I have not prayed. I'm just sermon prepping and talking to people, doing all these things. And I realize, right, the default mode is work more and do more, be more productive. And I realize deep down inside of this drive to be excellent, to be efficient, to be productive is more about me than honoring God. Deep down inside, there are insecurities that have been there for a very, very long time. Fears of failure, fears of insignificance, desires to prove to the world and myself that I am not a failure, that I'm actually worth something. That's one of the main, many great dangers of what I do as a full-time pastor. Right? Sermon prepping, devotional, it's kind of, oh, I could prep my sermon. Why I do devotional? It doesn't work. So you have to pray for myself, pray for Pastor John, pray for us. 
We need to delight in God first. That's the failure. That's what Saul failed to do when David did. So friends, intentionally create space to be in God's presence. I'm not saying you got to come to God, pray two hours with five list of things that you need to do before God, or read 20 chapters. No, just create 10 minutes in the morning and night just to sit before the Lord. You don't even have to say anything. You don't even have to pray. But practice the presence of the Lord. Third and final observation from Saul's life is this. Saul refuses to allow hardships and setbacks to shape him and change him. Saul refuses to allow hardships and setbacks to shape him, right? Struggles, setbacks, failures, and difficulties are part of life. Like they, all, they happen to all of us, right? All of us have and will experience setbacks in our lives. We'll experience pain and struggles and brokenness. And perhaps that's how you would define your current season today. But I've said this many times from different passages that there are times God will call you and I to places that we do not want to go in order to produce in us something we cannot attain on our own. There are times God will call you and I to places that we do not want to be in like COVID-19 in order to produce in us something we cannot attain on our own. That was the wilderness as Israel, Israelites left Egypt and told that they have a promised land to go to. They spent years and years in the wilderness. That was, that was inside of a whale for, for prophet Jonah. That was the storm at the sea for Jesus' disciples, not once but twice. You see countless stories in the scripture of how God uses challenges, setbacks, and struggles to sharpen and strengthen our trust in him. Yet the tragic story about King Saul in 1 Samuel 15 is that Saul refuses to allow his own setbacks and challenges and failures to really transform him inside out. In fact, if you know anything about King Saul, he's the type of guy, he cannot stand the idea of failing at anything because he's so afraid of his own reputation, right? Early in my marriage, right, I would, Lois would say something to me. Even now, Lois would say something to me. Uh, I will be so upset at myself, not because I felt bad about something wrong I did, but I felt bad that I was not this perfect guy that I thought, you guys know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if you guys, I was more upset about me not being perfect rather than being sorry about what I did. I couldn't get over that. So a lot of our arguments just became about me. And it was like, what the heck? Who is this man, right? Like, I'm like, and, and, and that's really Saul. That's the picture of Saul here. He cannot get over the fact that he's going to make a mistake. He cannot get over the fact that he's going to be wrong sometimes. So that's why in our passage, when Samuel confronts Saul, he ducks and hides and makes excuses. And when he could not hide anymore, he says, well, it's other people. Yeah, I, I guess I took some things I shouldn't, but it's really these men. I, they told me to take it. I was afraid what they were going to do to me if I didn't take it. 
she not only is so unable to accept failures and difficulties in his own life, when you look at verse 20, 20, uh, 24, after sort of apologizing and repenting, he says, Now I beg you, Samuel, forgive my sin. Come with me so that we can go worship the Lord. Saul has this ability to compartment compartmentalize his sins like look at what he says right he's like ah, i guess i did wrong but can we go to the next thing and go worship the lord create these like spaces in his brain oh this is for the lord this is for me this is sacred this is secular you see the real tragedy of saul's story is for him after a while his sins and failures felt rather normal right and that's I think Pastor John talked about this several sermons ago, that after a while, our sins, we normalize our sins. You know, as, 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 when we're young and we're new in, in, in faith, everything feels like we're doing something wrong before the Lord. But after a while, you get comfortable. I think Pastor John was sharing about how he was like, I, didn't, I don't even know the word. He, he took someone else's plan and tried to plan it, and he, he was able to justify it. I mean, I, I think that's what we do with a lot of our sins. And that's so here, right? He simply just wants to move on. He's like, oh, yeah, Samuel, let's just go. Let's, let's go and worship the Lord, and we can, we, can, we can talk about this later. It's not a big deal. There's no remorse. But friends, setbacks, failures, and pain are powerful tools that God can use and will use to shape you and I into his very own image. They can be wonderful gifts that can heal us from our past hurts and experiences. Yet that can only happen if we're willing to admit, reflect, and acknowledge our failures, our experiences. Because there is no better way to, to, to learn patience without waiting. There is no better way to learn humility without being humble. There is no better way to learn grace without learning to forgive other people. Friends, there are no shortcuts when it comes to maturity. There's no shortcuts when it comes to any kind of growth, physically, emotionally, spiritually. There are no shortcuts. So embrace your past experiences. Acknowledge your past failures and bring those before God and allow God to bring healing in your own life. This tragic story ends with these painful words in verse 34. It says, The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And again, chapter 16, next chapter, God tells Samuel, Go to the town of Bethlehem anoint a new king. I prepared a new person to lead my people. And again, we know, chapter 16, David, he had similar beginning as Saul, but he had a tumultuous kingship career, right? David was no perfect man. He had taken another man's wife, and in order to cover up adultery, he had murdered an innocent man, not only an innocent man, but his own man who was faithful to him, Named Uriah. 
He had his own drama with his sons. Absalom, his son, wanted him dead. There was all this drama because he wasn't faithful father. Yet, as God moves away from Saul to David, there is this great sense of hope. And it's not because David is faithful. It's not because David is this wonderful king that we all think he is. It's because, really, where David is from, what David represents. It's out of the family of David, line of David and Jesse, a true king would come, and it's not David. And we know who this king is. We've talked about, we talk about him every week. He is Jesus. And Jesus, the true king, the true David, the greater David, has modeled for us what it means to be truly human, what it means to be made in the image of God, and what it means to really own and, and live in the reality of this emotional health. When we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see a man who is constantly moving and going and healing and teaching, yet he was never in too hurry to stop for a beggar, for a Samaritan woman, and he was never in a hurry to speak to God, to hear from him. We see a man who displays full array of emotions. Jesus wept. Jesus was grieved. Jesus was angry. Yet he never sinned in any of those emotions or expressing those emotions. We see a man who took on all suffering and pain. And not because he caused it, but because for the pain and the suffering of the world. Friends, he is the reason, this is the gospel, he is the reason why you and I, you, we can look at ourselves in the mirror, look at deep and dark and ugly things of our lives and not come undone. He's the real reason why we're not defined by what we bring to the table. He's the real reason why we can confidently approach God the Father because Jesus has removed your sin, my sin, as far as east is from the west. That's far. East and the west, I don't know how that works, but that's really far. That's good news. And he has washed away our sins. And it's only through Jesus we can begin this journey of not only reflecting and, and processing the emotions that we've been dealing with, but there's a greater hope of His grace and mercy. And really, at the end of it, Jesus wants you and I to mature and grow. He doesn't want to just save us and we go to heaven. No, He wants us to be the light of the world, city on the hill. How can we do that when we are spiritual infants? We need to really tackle these areas. Amen? A couple resources. Um, emotional, emotionally Emotionally Healthy Spirituality has the, this 40-day um, devotional guide. I think it's like $6.99 too. Uh, you can actually do a 40-day devotional journey. Uh, Pastor Peter, he wrote out with his team, along with the book, if you want. Also, if you're dealing with some of the stuff and you're like, I don't know how to deal with all this stuff, you could, of course, talk to myself and Pastor John. But also, we have a counseling ministry in our church. And it's just counseling at kingscrosswall.com. And there are some resources uh, that we can provide for you as you walk on this journey. So please take advantage of those. Counseling is a wonderful thing. I mean, I mean I've taken counseling before, and it's, it's helped me tremendously. 
right? It's, it's, it, there's no, nothing shameful about taking counseling. I know I need help. I know you need help. So let's get help. And let's allow the Lord to bring healing to this area of your life. All right. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful um, season uh, together. It's not so wonderful because of COVID and what COVID has sort of un unveiled in our lives. But it's wonderful because, Lord, we are not left alone. You have given us wisdom. You have given us scripture. You have given us community to be able to uncover a lot of these things, God. And, Lord, you are a God of patience. You are a God who is gentle. Uh, you do not want to rush us. You're not sitting on your throne saying, get healthy now. You see us. You see our struggles. You see our pain. You see our cries. You see when we can't go to sleep at night, when we can't eat properly, or when we're just drinking at night because we can't go to sleep. You see all of our ugliness. Yeah, Lord, you want us to get better. You want us to become healthier. So, Lord, convict us this morning. Awaken this desire to get better, God. We can't get better unless we want to. We can't get better unless we're willing to admit to the issues and struggles that we have. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Heal us. Help us to begin this process. We love you. We thank you. Just in we pray. Amen.